Welcome to the Dinner Party Download. This is your icebreaker. Two guys are on safari. They're taking pictures of the wildlife, and they come across this pride of lions, and they're taking pictures of them, and then lion sort of starts to creep over to them. He notices them, and he's and next thing you know, he's stalking. So one of the guys, like, you know, puts his camera down and starts tying his shoes really tight, and the other guy looks at him and goes, dude, if that lion decides to charge, there's no way you're going to be able to outrun him. He says, I know, I just got to be able to outrun you. I'm Brendan Francis Noonan. I'm Rico Galliano, and from 89.3 KPCC in Los Angeles, this is the Dinner Party Download, the show that helps you win your next dinner party. Our icebreaker this week came from G5, bass player of the little heavy metal band that could, Anvil. We love you, Anvil. Later, we'll be speaking with our guest of honor, best-selling author, Alain de Botton. We're like a renaissance show. It's, it's extremely varied. But first, time for small talk. So, Brendan, this week an airplane disappeared. Sadly. A GM disappeared. Not sadly. Unless you're one of their workers. And apparently our morality disappeared as a little over 50% of Americans polled said torture was acceptable in some circumstances. (laughs) This explains like American Idol, the Lakers. So much about (laughs) our country. Well, sadly, a lot of stories disappear every week. To make sure that doesn't impede your dinner party, we asked our friends at Marketplace to tell us a few of them. George Judson, Managing Editor of Marketplace, what story are you going to be talking about this weekend? Well, there's a letter-writing campaign protesting Michelle Obama's vegetable garden. From, like, the meat industry? It's from the Crop Life Association. That would be your pesticide industry, because the White House garden is organic, and it doesn't use pesticides. (laughs) Where does this end? So is the TV industry going to write letters because she reads books to her children? Now that you mention it, I think they might want to. (laughs) The lap band industry will get upset because she exercises? Well, as this association says, what message does this send? (laughs) New York Bureau Chief Amy Scott, what story are you going to be talking about? this weekend. Well, as if farmers don't have it hard enough as it is, now they're going to be replaced by robots. For real? For real. This week, new scientist reports researchers are developing agricultural robots to do things like patrol orchards and count oranges. Does that seem frightening to you? Maybe a little bit. I mean, did we learn nothing from the film 2001? Right. I'm afraid I can't let you do that, Dave. (laughs) I'm afraid these strawberries are mine, Dave. I'm, I'm afraid you have to pay me more than $5 an hour, Dave, to pick your crops. Stacey Vanek-Smith, senior reporter at Marketplace, what are you going to be talking about this weekend? Japan is actually using comedians to train some of its bureaucrats. Oh, man. Yeah, it's hoping that that will help make them better managers. Government employees who think they're funny. This could be a complete disaster. Yeah, knock, knock. Who's there? Audit. <laughs> Or you go to go to DMV and there's like a brick wall behind the guy and a stool with a glass of water on it. <laughs> Bi-weekly street cleanup. What's up with that? And now, time for cocktails. Once more, we tell you something that happened this week in history and then give you a fitting drink to serve along with it. It's like an email from history with a booze attachment. <laughs> <laughs> Download it directly into your liver. First, as always, though, the history part. This week back in 1888, baseball poem Casey at the Bat was published. Now, most folks at your dinner party will know it's one of America's most beloved literary works. Our friend Michelle Philippi is here to tell us about one guy who didn't hold it in such high esteem. That's right. He was the author. 
Chris Thayer graduated Harvard in philosophy. His family owned profitable wool mills. So when he took his first gig out of school as a humor columnist at the San Francisco Examiner, he must have figured he wouldn't keep the job long. Sure enough, after a couple of years, he headed back east to the wool business. But before he split, he dashed off one last piece for the paper, a little poem about baseball. Like most of his stuff, he considered it, quote, nonsense. And like most of his stuff, he signed it under the pen name Finn. That would have been the last of it if the poem hadn't been republished in a New York paper. Vaudeville actor DeWolf Hopper got a copy and decided to perform it during his next big show, which made sense, because in the audience were players from the Chicago White Sox and the New York Giants. <laughs> but there is no joy in Mudville. Mighty Casey has struck out. The audience went nuts for Casey, and so did the rest of the country. The poem got printed everywhere. Suddenly, imposters claimed they were the mysterious Finn. It was years before the public finally agreed Thayer was the real deal. But Thayer didn't really seem to care. He never accepted royalties for Casey at the bat, and in 1935 he wrote, quote, It would be hard to say if it has given me more pleasure than annoyance. Meanwhile, the poem made DeWolf Hopper a star. He performed it at least 10,000 times. So that was the history. Now for the drink to serve with it. I'm speaking with Colleen Robbie. She is bartender at Alex and Ica's on Main Street in Cooperstown, home to the Baseball Hall of Fame. And Colleen, you've heard the history. What drink does that inspire you to make? I made a drink called Casey's Killjoy. It is an Irish mudslide. <laughs> why, why Irish? It just seemed to me appropriate, being that the players were Irish. So oh, the players mentioned in the poem are Cooney, Barrows, and Casey. I'd never thought about them being sort of an ethnic team, but they are ethnically <laughs> Irish. What, so what's in this thing? It is a shot of espresso, mm -hmm. two ounces Jameson, two ounces Godiva chocolate liqueur, mm. and two ounces Bailey's Irish cream. There may not be joy in Mudville, but there does seem to be joy in this drink. <laughs> uh, and I guess it's kind of a muddy drink to emulate like a baseball infield? Absolutely. It's a mudslide uh, done the Irish way with the Jameson instead of the vodka, and then freshly made espresso. And, and I keep waiting for the garnish of chewing tobacco. <laughs> No, no. <laughs> but do you actually get Hall of Famers coming into the restaurant? Yeah, we do. We're right on Main Street. We're on the same street as the Hall of Fame. Have you ever served any of them? I have. Uh, Yogi Berra, Reggie Jackson. Oh, my God. What does Yogi Berra drink? Oh. <laughs> I really want to. Diet Coke, I believe, at this point. <laughs> <laughs> well, it ain't over till it's over, Yogi. That's pretty good. That's yeah. a pretty good drink. I was actually thinking the appropriate cocktail to pair with baseball is beer. Genius. Yeah. Yeah, it's I was really... thinking we. I, I was thinking you'd call it something like beer. <laughs> <laughs> uh, friends, if you can think of a better name for Brendan's cocktail, which consists solely of beer in a glass, then email us <laughs> at dinnerparty at kpcc.org.
Our guest of honor this week is international bestseller, philosopher, author, Alain Dubouton. He's written a new book called The Pleasures and Sorrows of Work, where he uses philosophy and his signature wit to examine why people work, what work is, and how work affects us. So Alain, uh, did you figure out why we have to work so hard? <laughs> One of the things that, that constantly uh, puzzles people is how come we're such a wealthy world, and yet work is still in many ways so hard. And the reason is the competition of the marketplace. You may decide to work only three days a week and take it easy, but if all your competitors are working seven days a week, you will be wiped out. Mm -hmm. um, but I think I sense around me a lot of people who are questioning some of that. Um, the world economy is throwing up some of the questions uh, without us even asking it to. Not that money doesn't matter at all, but might it be number three or four in the list of things I want rather than only the number one thing? So all of these questions are very much in the air. It feels like such a fruitful time to be questioning and, uh, and probing at work. Now, some would say that profit motive and our hard work is what accounts for our high standard of living. Yes, that's right. I mean, you know, I think one of the, uh, the, the, the I guess, the, the paradoxes um, is that um, many people living in a consumer society have an impulse to say, why do we need all this stuff? Why do we need, you know, 100 types of clothing and all this kind of food, etc.? Why don't we just do with a bit less? And I think the answer, and it's always a sobering answer, the answer is that societies with less routinely have to let the bottom 10-15% of their population starve because they can't feed them. That there's somehow a link between superfluous goods, luxury, shopping malls, etc., and a country that's going to be rich enough uh, to take care of its neediest citizens. And this isn't something that you know, any economist has been able to get round. And so I think, you know, the next time you feel uh, in a kind of puritanical mood as you're walking through the shopping mall, just remember that um, uh, there's a lot more going on here than just idle consumption. It's connected to all sorts of things that you might actually really value. Well, my job as host of this segment is to ask you two standard questions. The first one is, what question are you tired of being asked? I, I'm not tired, but the question that I do always get asked is, who, among all the people that I met while researching the book, who seemed the happiest? Uh, and my answer is always accountants. Um, hmm. I, I fell in with a bunch of extraordinarily fulfilled accountants, which sounds almost comedic yeah. because we always associate accountancy with, with boredom and tedium. But, I mean, these people were so much happier than the writers that I know. My goodness. That's interesting. And to contrast them with writers who, uh, you know, the Dorothy Parker line, I don't like writing, I like having written. <laughs> that's right. Accounting exactly. sounds like it has a certain tidiness that sounds appealing. Exactly. Our second question is, tell us something we don't know, something that you haven't talked about in interviews before. Mm. I think um, one of the things I didn't really talk about is um, the pleasures and sorrows of the writing life. Uh, shortly after writing this book, I did go through a, a, a real sort of crisis about where I was heading in my life. And for a time, I was uh, really totally rethinking things and thinking, you know, wondering where I should go next. Should I open a small bakery? <laughs> I'm now back in the saddle and happy as a writer again. Don't you feel like with writing, and I feel this way with my job, don't you feel like you're getting away with something a little bit? Yes, there's always, uh, there's always a feeling sometimes that I don't know, it's almost a, maybe a guilt, uh, a feeling of, uh, you know, when it's fun, it's really fun. Is this a job? Um, should I be suffering more? But then you get over it. <laughs> Huey Lewis. All right, I was against it, but here, here it is. Rico, I told you, Britain does not have a corner on the great philosophers in life. That, right, so there's like Kierkegaard, de Botton, and, and Huey Lewis. Lewis. It's a French name. He's a, Fr he's a French philosopher. Like Descartes. And, and he works for a living. I... I heard. <laughs> Learn all about the Tao of Lewis at dinnerpartydownload.com.
we've met our guest of honor. Now it's time for the main course, the part of the show where we teach you something about the food world. So, Brendan, for a long time, uh, the best restaurants have been all about getting the freshest possible produce. Oh, no. Yes, this is a story about even fresher produce. If restaurants get any fresher, we're going to have to plant our own seeds, water the vegetables, and then pay them $50 for cooking them. Well, actually, you're close. Except you don't grow the food, they do. The other day I spoke with Logan Williams. Lately, he and his dad have been creating on-site gardens for restaurants all over Los Angeles. And the other day he showed me around his own garden, actually his driveway. Oh, okay. <laughs> See, I was expecting there to be like some soil on the ground, but this is actually boxes, yeah, like this growing. Is actually, a driveway with cement and a few tables, where we uh, put a lot of the plants in flats and four-inch pots, and that's where we start them. And then you guys come and pick them up from the farmers markets. Now we've seen this kind of thing. There's been uh, almost a trend in urban farming, but what's happening now? It seems to starting gardens for restaurants. How did that get started? It's really, to tell the truth, it's kind of correlated with the whole recession thing really yeah people i think you know during these times that we're going through are kind of realizing look if i'm going to be spending my money on something it better be worth it you know so the restaurants now have to sort of compete with each other for the best ingredients and really if you want to have you know that special heirloom tomato or that interesting pepper you've got to grow it yourself people will come back for that so they're it's certainly a restaurant's arm race that's for sure what uh what restaurants have you uh done gardens for rustic canyon uh huckleberry their new uh upscale bakery that they're doing a couple hotels in beverly hills actually now are growing stuff on the roof of the hotel really um, yeah even different types of mints because there are many many really wonderful types of mint actually that we grow and they're mixing them into mojitos and making this kind of multiple mint mojito type of deal see i think this is the kind of arms race the world needs yeah no (laughs) how difficult is it to sort of put a garden into a pre-existing space that probably wasn't intended for well this driveway certainly was not intended for uh planting anything you get yourself a couple five gallon pots or 10 gallon pot, I should say, you could put uh, four or five really nice rare varieties of tomatoes going on. So how long before McDonald's starts having a garden in front of the Golden Arches, resplendent with mint and tomatoes? <laughs> no comment on that one. I don't know if that's going to happen, buddy. <laughs> Rico, McDonald's does have its own personal garden. Really? It's called America. <laughs> the whole shebang. It's true. It's, it's just a question of scale. They even grow tomatoes in a driveway. It's called New Jersey. And that's the Dinner Party download for this week. To keep up with us between episodes, we deliver daily Dinner Party fodder on Twitter. Follow us at Dinner Party, D-N-L-D. And you can also catch us on the Arts and Culture Show Off-Ramp, hosted by John Raby and Queena Kim, You'll find that at kpcc.org. Also, thanks this week to our researcher Jessica Dial, Mimis Beard, and Jessica Ritz. We leave you, as always, with One for the Road, a song to listen to on your way to or departing from this weekend's dinner party. The band is called Free Energy. They don't have a record out yet, but they will, and you'll remember hearing them here. The song is called Dream City. You can download it at our website. Bon appétit. Hey, we're coming out. Show.
When the stars are shining brighter When your heart is beating lighter When you love without desire Then you know who I'm Rico Galliano. I'm Brendan Francis Noonan. And somewhere men are laughing and somewhere children shout. But there is no joy in Mudville. This mighty episode of the Dinner Party Download is over.